Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. At the end of my series on Kings, I introduced the prophet Jeremiah, who brought the word of the Lord in the days leading up to and following the collapse of the kingdom of Judah. You'll find that in this podcast of 2 Kings, episode 14. In this episode, I'm going to continue to examine that prophet's book and see what his message was then and how that message continues to impact us today. In this episode, we're going to see how for Jeremiah, more than for any other prophet, the man and the message are virtually inseparable. I want to go ahead and get into it before we have prayer because I'm, I'm just where we are. Jeremiah, we're, we're looking at chapters 2 through 6 today. Um, let me just go ahead and tell you, Jeremiah has told us, or God has already told Jeremiah in chapter 1, when God called Jeremiah, said you, Jeremiah tried to say, I'm too young for this. And God says, you don't understand. <laughs> you didn't exist when I called you to this. I've had you in mind before you were for this very purpose and for this very mission. And let me tell you what your mission is. You are going to go and butt heads with the hardest headed people in the world. And I'm going to make your head harder than theirs. And that's the only thing that's going to save you. And your mission is going to be sixfold. To root up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You will get to build and to plant, but there's a whole lot of trash that has to come out before you can do that. So this is the mission of Jeremiah. God basically has told him from from the outset, you're not going to see any of the results that I have planned through your work and ministry. You will never see it. Just like Abraham never saw the land that God gave to him become his. Just like Moses could only look over from Mount Nebo into the promised land. You will never actually get that much of a glimpse of the success of what I have given you to do. You won't see that in your lifetime. It's going to be there. But not because of you. But because of me. This is God's impartation to him. Chapter 2 through chapter 6. Now, Jeremiah is not strictly chronological. That does not follow a strict chronological plot. There are some... There are some parts of it where you can see it's evident that, okay, this actually comes before what came before it in the book. You know, I mean, there are some parts of it that are like that. Overall, it does seem to follow sort of a chronological pattern, kind of like the Gospel of Mark, which is not strictly chronological, but generally chronological. Jeremiah, is the writings of Jeremiah are like that too. And I look at this, it's kind of like, 
you look at this, if you look in your Bible, if you've got particularly a contemporary translation, you see several of these lined out in lines, as in poetry. That's because the structure of the Hebrew indicates that these are lines of poetry. You've got the parallelism, you've got the rhythms that are in the Hebrew language that come out. So that indicates that these are lines of poetry. Which kind of gives you an indication of, okay, how did these prophets prophesy? How did they get it? Did they just stand up on a street corner and start yelling and, you know, and people, you know, gather around them or whatever? You know, were there street preachers like this? And I think it was more like a musician in a coffee house coming and singing his songs, putting out an album, as it were, making a CD. What we're going to look at today is Jeremiah's first album. Okay? Now, these are some different songs that are put together and different, uh, along with some commentary with the songs that kind of indicate, you know, it's like liner notes on the album. Okay, this is what I'm thinking through this, or this is what was going on in my life while this was, while this was happening. One of the things we're going to see in Jeremiah is we are going to see some Jeremiah of all the prophets is the one that lets us most into his heart and mind. Most of the prophets, they're just mouthpieces. Some of the prophets let us in on some of the struggles that they're having, Ezekiel, occasionally, once or twice, Isaiah. But mostly we see the prophets as being, you know, just they're just mouthpieces. They have a mission, they have a message, they deliver it. The only thing that's important is the message, not the messenger. In Jeremiah, the messenger is part of the message. In Jeremiah's life, the messenger is part of the message, and therefore he lets us more into his heart and more into his life and more into his mind than any other prophet. And that's one of the reasons why the book of Jeremiah gets under our skin more than many of the other prophets. Because Jeremiah's got the same message that the other prophets had. But he lets us know not what's going on in him, and he also lets us know what's going on with the people that he's prophesying to. Now, we've been studying the book of Kings, and these later, uh, the later kings from, Je- from Josiah on, Jeremiah begins prophesying. He begins his ministry in the reign of Josiah. And this is what we're going to see. His first album was produced, if you will, during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, he's going to show it. And we look at the reign of King Josiah and we think, what a tremendous revival took place during Josiah. Well, it was a reform. And there was an effort at revival, but the, the revival didn't take with the people. And that's what we are going to see with Jeremiah. We're going to see, why didn't, why didn't this great reform, this, Josiah, finally, out of all of the kings who had come before him, Josiah finally was the one who did what God wanted him to do. Why did this not save the nation? And we're going to find that out in Jeremiah. We're going to, find, we're going to see that in the, what we see today. As we do that, and as we get into Jeremiah, I can already tell, this prophet is going to eat my lunch and dinner. And it's going to be, what 
our tendency is to kind of distance ourselves from this and to kind of objectify this. And that certainly is my tendency. And we need to come in and join with the prophet and become and, and identify with what he's talking about and either receive his message and let it penetrate and let it beat us up if it, if it has to. Or join with him in his suffering and find out what it is. What it is Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. We're going to find out. We need to find out what he's weeping about. And let that enter into our souls. So let's pray as we get into this. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for those this morning who are not with us, who are ill, who are suffering with difficulty. We pray for, we pray for Kathy and the trial that she's going through. Lift up her spirit, Lord. Lift up her heart. Remind her that you have a purpose for her life and that this thing that she's going through is dreadful and yet all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Father, we pray for the young men who are, who are serving in Afghanistan that we have those direct connections to and we pray for them and we ask that you Lord we, we pray for all the troops but Lord for them in particular we pray that you will keep them preserve them protect them encourage them and draw them in their hearts to you and not away from you in that war zone for us, Lord, we pray that you will draw our hearts to you through your word and not repel us. Because, Lord, the word as it's, as it's spoken here, we've got to respond to it. And it will either make us hard or it will make us soft. I pray it will make us soft. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. You're going to see that a lot in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going to make it clear now, there are going to be times when it's Jeremiah who's talking. That's one thing you're going to see in Jeremiah and one thing we're going to honor about Jeremiah. And that is, he makes it very clear, this is God's word. This is me. You're going to see that. And that's one of the things that lets us into what Jeremiah is thinking. This is God's word. So he say, Jeremiah stands up and says, this song, this song is from the Lord. This song is God's song. This song is what God wants you to hear. And he starts out singing the first verse. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. You belong to me and nobody else could have you. So I remember that. Now, now you look at that and you think, this is a, a romanticization of the wilderness wanderings, to be sure. Because if you look at the, at the account in Exodus and Numbers, you see Israel didn't always belong. I mean, Israel was not always the beloved of the Lord there. In, I mean, they didn't always feel like the beloved of the Lord. They didn't act like the faithful, holy one. 
it was that second generation. That first generation had to be left in the wilderness. It was that second generation that was purified. But Jeremiah has a point and a purpose. And God's word has a purpose in idealizing and romanticizing that wilderness time. It's a setup. Basically, the point is, there was a time when you were really mine. Now hear the word, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house. See, that first one was a little song, and that's the one that draws them in. Everybody wanted to hear that song. That's the, that was the hit. That, that was the one that got played on the radio. All right? That was the one that everybody bought for their iPod, you know? That was the song everybody downloaded. That was a setup. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Notice that? Not only I mean, he's all the clans of the house of Israel. He's, he, this, this, song goes to, this song's going out to everybody who's named by the name of God. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? And went after worthless and be, worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness and a land of desert and pits and a land of drought and deep darkness and a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests didn't say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. That's messed up. This song has taken a really interesting turn. All of a sudden, this, this album, which opens up with a nice little sweet love song, gets angry. And it's a, it's a blues kind of angry. There's a sadness. There's, there's a grief that's being expressed here. It's, it's what's happened to our love. And the love that God has for his people is going to be this theme keeps coming back through all through this album. Therefore, I st- but along with this, there's a lot of struggle. I, therefore, I still contend with you, declares with the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. Look at verse 11. This is an amazing verse. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are, no, they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Anybody else have a different translation from, for that which does not profit? What did you have? For worthless idols. What do you think that that means? For that which does not profit. You know that that has to be have a bigger impact in Hebrew than it has in English. That phrase, for that which does not profit, that doesn't that doesn't seem to pop in English. I mean, that's a good and literal translation, but it just doesn't have the pop. That you know that's got to have a bigger impact. For that which does not profit. So let's think of a good synonymous phrase for that. My people have exchanged their glory. 
which is God. Four. That's it. They've given it all for something that will get back anything. They've invested everything in a loser. And look at that observation. Look, at, look in the history of the world. Has there ever been a nation that swapped out its gods? And they're not even gods. They're not real. But my people have exchanged their glory, something that is real, for something that's worthless. Something that's pointless, something that's meaningless, something that's empty, something that has no, no truth, no value, no justification for it, and won't give them anything back. For my, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's bad enough. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. Hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. You, know, you understand the, the metaphor there? You've got an artesian well. Once you've opened the well, you don't have to work. The water flows up. The water bubbles up and overflows and forms a pool. You just come and drink. You don't even have to draw. You just come and you drink. It's a well of living water. Who else used that expression? Jesus. It's rivers of living water. You've forsaken the source, the fountain of living water. You know what you've replaced it with? You went. And what they would do is they would, in, in this drive, they would basically carve out a tank in the rock. They would carve out a tank in the rock and then they would pump or carry water into it to store water. It says, you've, you've forsaken the fountain of living water and you've gone to the expense and the trouble and the energy ex expenditure and all of that in order to carve out a cistern not one cistern, multiple cisterns, and none of them will even hold any water. Everything you put in them drains out. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken the source of living water. And folks, and that is the difference between true faith and humanistic religion. Or humanistic pursuits of any kind. That's what it is. You've got the fountain of living water or you've got, you're on your own. Work it out. Do your best. Uh, goes on talking about the, uh, the uselessness. We see the, what's going on here politically. People are wanting to uh, they're, they're struggling against Josiah. Josiah is trying to lead the people to be independent once again. 
independent from these entangling alliances with pagan powers. But there is this strong political pressure inside Judah working against Josiah and stirring up the people that says what we really need to do is get an alliance with Egypt so that we will be protected. Egypt will have our back. And Jeremiah says, you know what Egypt will do? Egypt will make us slaves. They already have. They already own most of us. He begins to... uh, the second part of this or the last part of this song or this uh, uh, part of the chapter there's a series of metaphors let's look at them verse 20 long ago I broke your yoke I burst your bonds but you said I will not serve yes on every high hill and under every green tree you bowed down like a whore That is the disturbing image that's going to be coming back over and over and over. And it's an image that goes all the way back to Exodus. And the image is that of spiritual adultery. That often leads, by the way, to literal adultery. In your social order. A society... This is because... What he said, people become like their gods. People become like what they worship. Whatever you set your mind to in this world, that's what you become like. Whatever you desire, that's what you seek to put your life after. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jeremiah says they followed after worthlessness and they became worthless. That what he's saying is they followed after idols and they became just like the idols they're following. Every idol represents a humanistic pursuit. Every idol represents putting your faith, hope, and eternal eggs in the basket of material things. And very often that goes, that follows the pursuit of sexual pleasure. But it gets more sophisticated than that. But then it basically comes down to that. Spiritually, it's the image of harlotry. It's the image of whoredom. It's the image of prostitution. Yet I planted you. Now now he begins a series of metaphors. We're going to see Jeremiah loves metaphors. It's what makes his preaching and his singing vivid. His lyrics are very vivid because of them. I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate, become a wild vine? You you were of good seed, you've gone wild. How'd that happen? Verse 22, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the the stain of your guilt is before me, declares the Lord God. How can you say I'm not unclean? After I've not gone after the bales. Look at your way in the valley. I know what you've done. The valley he's talking about is the valley of Hinnom. South side of Jerusalem. It's become idol center. Of Palestine basically. Idolatry central. This is, they even had altar, altars to Moloch where they would sacrifice children. And, you, and 
people say, what? We don't know what you're talking about going after the bail. Well, what do you mean? What you talking about, man? How can you say? How can you say? What's going on out here? Oh, it gets better. Look at your way in the valley. I know what you've done. A restless young camel running here and there. So you've got the image of a camel who has run off from its handler and has no idea where it wants to go now. It's just running around. A wild donkey used to the wilderness in her heat sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? Yeah, that's a vulgar metaphor. Hey, you're like a wild donkey, just trying desperately to mate with anything that's out there. None who seek her, none who seek her, need weary themselves in her mouth. In her month, they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said it's hopeless. I've loved foreigners, and after them, I'll go. Keep your feet from going unshod. Don't don't be thirsty. I mean, you you're, you've been afflicted. You've you. You've been, you've suffered, and yet you keep on going on and doing this, and you're doing it compulsively. You said, no, 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 I've loved foreigners, and after them I'll go. This is a picture of addiction. It's like they're saying, people are telling Jeremiah, said, what you're telling me is you can't help yourself. You're doing this, and you can't stop. It's, you're going after these idols, and you're... None of them satisfy, and so you keep multiplying more idols to yourself. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel should be shamed. In other words, yeah, they'll be embarrassed, but they won't repent. Their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. Now he talks about the idiocy and the the stupidity, the ridiculousness of idolatry. Yeah, you say to a tree, my father. You say to a stone, oh, you gave me birth. They've turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. You want to be saved? Go to the God you've made. Where are they? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. That's probably not an exaggeration. There were hundreds of cities in Judah. In any given pantheon of the ancient Near East, and, you know, each region had their gods, but the mythologies were basically similar. They followed the same pattern. And in any given pantheon, there are as many as 248 identifiable separate gods and goddesses. Every one of them had a church. You know? And that's what Jeremiah said. You've got as many gods as you have cities. Let them save you. When you're in a time of trouble, let them save you from now on. Why do you contend with me? You've all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain I struck your children. They took no correction. Your own sword devoured your prophets like a ravening lion. And you, O generation, behold the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of thick darkness? Why then do my people say, we are free. We will come no more to you. We're free from you. We're going to get loose from this terrible bondage we have to be servants of the living God. 
Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. The image here is, is of, a, of a girl who is betrothed to be married and she's looking forward to that day of her wedding and then she just forgets, she forgets all about her entire trousseau. Leaves, leaves home for the wedding without it. Yet, my people have forgotten me days without number. He keeps piling it on. Well, let's see. Need to move on here. There's so much in each one of these songs. Chapter 3. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him, becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Refers to the divorce laws of Deuteronomy 24. Is a violation of God's law. If a man... if if a woman is divorced from a man and she marries another man and then is divorced from him to go back to her first husband, that is against the law of divorce, the law of God in Deuteronomy. That is a violation of that law. Jeremiah is referring to that. Would not the land, that land, be greatly polluted? Now God says, you've played the whore with many, with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord? So the suggestion is, that's not even legal. <laughs> it's not even lawful. You've left me. The suggestion is, at this point, if I go... Watch. Keep watching. Keep watching. He goes, on, uh, he goes on to do that. And that's, that's how that song finishes up. That's how that song leaves out. You've done all the evil that you could. Verse, uh, chapter 5. That sounds like the line of a country song. You've done all the evil that you could. I mean. So then... He, he continues, the Lord said to me in the day, he, he does that. And the reason he brings that up is not because God is saying there's no hope for you. You can't repent. There's no point in your repentance. It's really the opposite. What he's trying to do, he's trying to shake them out of their complacency. They have gotten to a place where they think they've got this cozy relationship with God. We go and we serve all these other gods, but Jehovah delivers us when we're in trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. A little bit of the pollution of a good doctrine. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? Now watch. Have you seen how she did that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every hill and every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she's done this, she'll return to me. But she didn't return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous Judah, her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense 
declares the Lord. Right there, we've got a window into what the revival of Josiah was all about. Everybody went, gave lip service to Josiah's reforms. Everybody said, we'll go along with you, O king. Yes, we'll do what you say. Yes, we'll follow you because we, we, you're handsome, you're young, you're vigorous, and you're popular, and we will go along with you. They went along with it with their lips, but their hearts didn't go with them. kinds of cults. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a there's some comparison there. And the Lord said, and here's the shocking one. And the Lord said to me, "Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah." How's that? Because Judah saw what happened to Israel. And Judah kept right on going. Israel didn't have an example. Judah had the example of what happened to Israel and they didn't believe it. They just went right on. Go proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel. That word return and that word faithless have the same root. The root is the Hebrew word shuv, and the basic, the basic meaning is to return. And the King James Version translates the word faithless as backsliding. The idea is that Israel has turned, has turned away. Return, O one who has turned away. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt in that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, that you've not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master, and I will take you. By the way, the word master there, that's the word Baal. So you've been, you've been looking for a Baal. To be your Lord, to be your boss, to be your ruler. I'm your master. I'm your Baal. I will take you from one city and two, one from a city, two from a family. I will bring you to Zion. He's saying this apparently to Israel. These, this, is a, this is a song that's going out to Israel during the days when Josiah was going into Israel and expanding Judah territory into the former Israelite territory which was now politically vacant. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you've multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to, be, to mind or be remembered. It shall not be missed again. That was a big deal. The ark of the covenant of the Lord. Of course, that's, that was where the, that was in the temple in Jerusalem. And that was what the people of Israel missed whenever Jeroboam got his idolatrous system started at Bethel and at Dan. Basically to re 
visual images to replace the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant was still there. He said, there's going to come a day when nobody's even going to think about the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant's not going to be a deal. The Ark of the Covenant's not going to be about the presence. The presence of God is not going to be on the Ark. This is, for, this is foreshadowing the words of Jesus who tells the Samaritan woman who is living in this area where this message of Jeremiah is now going toward, which is Samaria. You think that, you know, you've got your heads messed up about all this material stuff and where we're supposed to worship and what mountain and all of this. The day's coming, said Jesus to the woman at the well, and now is when those who worship God shall not say we shall worship on this mountain or that mountain, but those who worship God shall worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. All of that is foreshadowed here in the prophecies of Jeremiah. So there's going to be a day. Oh, by the way, I think I mentioned one time that the last time we heard about the Ark of the Covenant was when it was put into the, uh, into the Holy of Holies and the temple that Solomon built and the, and the, the poles stuck out. And, uh, and they said, well, just leave it. That actually is not the last time we hear about the Ark in the Bible. The last time we hear about the Ark in the Bible is actually in Second Chronicles. Um, long about, I think, chapter 25, there about 35. It's, and it's during the reign of Josiah. And apparently during all of this time of Manasseh, the ark has been taken out of the temple and the ark has been kind of in a mobile situation. And, and Josiah tells the Levites, said, okay, you're not going to have to carry the ark around anymore. Let's bring it back. Put it where it's supposed to be in the temple. That's the last time we see the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible. Because Manasseh actually stopped all worship of God and chased down the That's right. That's right. Jeremiah says, nobody's going to worry about that. Josiah had replaced the Ark of the Covenant and its place in the temple. Jeremiah says, don't let the Ark of the Covenant be a big deal to you people. There's a day coming when that's not going to matter. Because Herod's temple did not have the Ark of the Covenant, right? Not likely. Because the Babylonians got rid of the temple. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what happened to the Ark after that. Hence, you have Indiana Jones looking forward and I must have been fictionally kind of, finding it. This category of, of mm-hmm. uh, the Ark was kind of impressive in that movie. Scary. Verse 17, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel. And together, by the way, the word stubborn is, is a prominent word in Jeremiah. It's a rare word in the Old Testament. Outside of the book of Jeremiah, it's only used twice. Once in Deuteronomy and once in Psalms. Both of them, it's not a good trait. 
It's used, I think, eight times in Jeremiah. In those days the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land I gave your fathers for a heritage. Chapter 4. The pick up to chapter 4 in the liner notes, verse 24. From, but from our youth the shameful thing has devoured all, all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. The shameful thing. The idol that is so abominable, Jeremiah doesn't even want to state its name. Let us lie down in our shame. Let our dishonor cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, and we are our fathers from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. And then a song from the point of view of God. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. A circumcised heart, that's an image that Paul picks up in Romans. Circumcision of the body is not what gets you a right standing with God. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's to have your heart made Right, it become wholly dedicated to the Lord. The rest of this, he uh, has songs warning of a coming judgment. Nobody believed that Babylon was that big of a threat. What we need to do is to have an alliance with Egypt, and Egypt will get our back. Egypt will protect us. Jeremiah is trying to say, you don't understand. You do not understand what's coming. And he's trying to tell them. Chapter 4, verse 22, for my people are foolish. They don't know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They're wise in doing evil, but they don't know how to do good. You can make a country song out of that. Verses 23 through 26, watch this. See if this, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void and to the heavens and they had no light. I looked to the mountains and behold, they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked and behold, there was no man and all the cities of the, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Look what he's saying. He says, it's looked like a, he said, what's going to happen next? He said, you people don't understand. You read Genesis 1 and you see the order of creation. What's going to happen is going to look like God is going to take creation and just roll it up against us. And undo everything. It's going to look like creation's falling apart. Say, we haven't seen anything yet. The Assyrians coming through devastating our land, that was nothing compared to what's getting ready to happen to us. 
For this the earth shall mourn and the heavens above shall be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. In chapter 5, Jeremiah goes and, and begins to talk about the, the wickedness and the actual... What is it that they are doing? What it, when they're following their idols and their worthless idols and becoming worthless like them, what is it doing to their lifestyles? They have ethically unraveled. And chapter 5 gives us songs about the ethical devastation that has taken place in this land. So Jeremiah goes and he preaches and he, he preaches to the, to the poor and the common people and everybody out here and they don't listen. They just turn their backs on it. They say, oh, that's, that's, that's just hogwash. So he says, maybe, I'll tell you what it is. They're just uneducated. They're poor. They're the uneducated. I'm going to go to the leadership of our country, the people who really know, the people who really understand, the people who are close to the king. I'm going to talk to them. They'll see. They'll understand. And the response is even worse. Verse 7, how can I pardon you? Says God. Your children have forsaken me and your children have forsaken me and sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed to them to the full, they committed adultery and took to the houses of whores. They were well-fed lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation come such as this? Jeremiah also proclaimed, portrays God as a God of war. That's what the, he keeps... This imagery of the Lord of hosts is about. The host has to do with the armies of God. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I'm making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Jeremiah, he can't stand it. It's tearing him up. It's tearing him up inside. I'm looking for chapter 6. If you look, notice the short lines. Those short, choppy lines. It's a lament. And at one point, Jeremiah says, literally, my bowels, my bowels. It was so upsetting to Jeremiah, it turned his stomach over because he saw what was coming. He said, these are my people. And I see what they, how they've turned their backs to God. But they're my people. And I'm one of them. These are my relatives. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. These are my leaders. This is my king. These are my priests. And Jeremiah is beginning to feel the strain of what God has called him to do. And he sings it. Folks, when you read Jeremiah, you do understand it ain't no sin. You've been listening to the first of ten episodes in which we'll cover the book of Jeremiah. As you can see, we're not going verse by verse, but we're seeking to interpret the sweep of the book. In episode two, 
We're going to see how the prophet responded to King Jehoiakim progressively undoing all the religious reforms of his father Josiah. Until then, you've been listening to Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for tuning in.